Good evening and welcome everybody to another edition of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. With me as always is Neil Schulman, the founder and managing editor of In All Kinds of Weather. I am Casey Hampton, so I am a key contributor, I guess is my official title, right Neil? Yeah. Also with us today is a very special guest. You may know him from his relationship ribs on Twitter, or you may know him as the guy who correctly promised that Florida would upset Georgia in 2002, uh, or you may just know him as an offensive lineman for the Gators from 2000 to 2003, and in 2003, he was an All-American selection. He's Shannon Snell. So uh, Shannon, why don't you uh, introduce yourself real quick, and then we can get to uh, get to the questions and put you on the hot seat. Cool. So as you said... <clears throat> My name is Shannon Snell. I've, uh, I'm a Gator by blood. Uh, I was so for me, I was born and raised in Tampa, Florida. Uh, decided to go to the Gators. Decided to after five visits, which uh, my five visits, my final five are Georgia, Notre Dame, Michigan, Florida, and Southern California. And I decided to come to Florida. So uh, born and raised a Gator in my household, which nobody knew. But as as of now, I'm a brand ambassador and pitmaster for Sunny's Barbecue. I've been doing that for the last 13 years. So it goes from being a Gator to being a Pitmaster, which is really cool for me. Well, and Sonny's is definitely uh, one of the favorite stops to make there coming in to Gainesville when I used to live in Jacksonville, making that stop off of uh, Waldo Road. Uh, it was definitely one of my favorite, one of my favorite stops, the OG Sonny's. Over the there. original. The, the original. OG. The original. <laughs> so, uh, Neil? Yeah, Shannon, we can't tell you how excited we are to have you on our show. We certainly have a lot to talk about, and we're about to get into that. Before we get into the heavy stuff, though, Shannon, we'd like you to be participant number one in a little segment with our guests that we like to call the lightning round. Now, this is Casey's brainchild, so I'll let him take it away. So I'm really excited uh, to do this because talking with former players, uh, you've got a unique perspective that a lot of us don't. So uh, these will be an easy, easy start, I'd like to say. Uh, so the first question is going to be, what was your favorite win uh, we as beat a Tennessee player? in 2000? Didn't even let you finish the, catch, the question. The catch, everybody refers it to. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing is that you guys, it was it was third down. Like, we had another down to get if, if Jabbar didn't, like, quote, unquote, drop it. So, but beating them up there because they were kind of expected to win. You know, Gators had kind of owned the series except for, like, 1998 when Tennessee had won the national title. But beating them up there, that was my first away game. And it gave me the first glimpse of what SEC football was all about. And it was fun. It was just fun seeing how mad they were and, uh, you know, just seeing how just that pageantry of just the, the rivalry between us and Tennessee. So that had to be my favorite win uh, because it was just it, we were kind of even in that game, we were counting the lose uh, because Tennessee was the stadium was kind of intimidating uh, for me, at least uh, playing there was tough and they had a really good team. So. It's an incredible stadium. I, 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 I've been there uh, in 2014. Granted, the circumstances weren't, uh, weren't uh, the same as they were in 2000, but it was kind of right. cool when they think they're right. going to win and then they don't. So uh, Tennessee choking, a tradition unlike any other. Uh, so what is your favorite win post your time as a player? Uh, it had to be in 2006 when they beat South Carolina, when the Gators beat South Carolina. You, Spurrier coming back to the swamp, you know, he was going to rub it in our face. I, was, I remember watching it on TV. I was playing for the Cowboys at the time, and I just remember how just how, you know, how the game had progressed on and the field goal was going to happen. It just brought back memories of us playing Auburn and just different guys, like when we lost in the last second, second field goal. And so just kind of watching the game, I was like, Spurrier has this one in the bag. And then when Jarvis Moss block, jumped up and blocked that kick, I, I think – you know, I was around a bunch of Gator fans at the time, so I can only imagine what the swamp sounded like because we had to turn the TV down. But 
you know, in the in the bar I was in, it was just absolutely, it was Gator fans. This place was going absolutely nuts. And I can only imagine if there was one time in my entire life that I wanted to be in the swamp, it was that time. Unfortunately, I wasn't, so. Yeah, that definitely, that definitely, uh, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. All right, so going along with that, what's your favorite road stadium in the SEC? South Carolina. South Carolina is a really, um, it, first of all, cl- the fans are really classy. Love the fans mm-hmm. there. Um, you know, they, they always gave us a tough game. Well, I, I will say 2001, they had a blackout uh, where all their fans were black and uh, we, we gave them a funeral <laughs> because we beat them. We beat them pretty bad. But going back in my senior year, it's just the place was underrated. It's underrated how loud it is. Um, I remember they got a safety on like one of the first series of the game against us and that place was it was shaking. So I was just like, you know, that was kind of it, it, it kind of reminded you of the swamp without it being actually called the swamp. So it, it was really cool because in South Carolina, they've always had pretty good teams and just playing them there in their stadium. Good fans. Like I said, it's just it was a great back and forth, even in my senior year. Um, that had to be my favorite stadium. That rooster um, up there that they have on third down, that still gives me nightmares. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that rooster is just, I mean, they let it loose and it's so loud. And it, not to mention, like, their fans are already loud to begin with. So You can hear it through the TV so clearly, too. You sure you should have had Ken, you know. It's, it's really ridiculous. like Mississippi State. You hear the cowbells, but, like, until, if you're live, they, they aggravate you. But on, that, on TV, when you hear that rooster, it's something different. It's, it's like, really, really loud. And they're, they're, what's their mascot? Out of any, if it ain't a swaying, we ain't a playing. Like at their upper <laughs> thing, their, their upper stands, it, it bounces up there. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I agree with you. Yeah. All right. So the last question of the la- lightning round: What's your favorite jersey combo, both home and away, that the team wears? White on white. White on white is 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 the is my when it's iced out like that. Most of the recruits, you know, even in my time, we wore white on white only a couple of times. Uh, we put when we went to Tennessee in 2002. We wore white on white. Um, I think we were undefeated in it, but that's my favorite combo. Now, here's the thing: is that I, I think the the blue tops and the white bottoms are very un, very underrated. People don't realize how cool those look, um, or the blue on blue. But my favorite, personally, throughout the test of time, because I mean, we're talking about there's been a couple of uniform changes. Some I've never I've never been able to personally wear myself. But the white on white is the one that just looks the best. It, you know, I've always felt like I. If you if you look good, you perform well, and I think those guys, the iced out look, that's that's kind of what they're going for. Yeah, I, I'm definitely a blue on blue classic guy, but yeah. I, I can agree yeah. with you on the blue on. So, white. what is your favorite home jersey combo? Blue on blue or blue on white? Uh, blue on blue. Blue on blue, blue, is, blue is my favorite. Yes, yeah, uh, it just it it's a little bit different from the traditional, but it still keeps us. You know, we're still the Gators with that blue. That blue is just so different from every other blue that you look at. So, you know, for me, and that's my favorite color to wear to the games now. Like, I don't like the orange, orange and white, you know, that's, that that looks okay. But the blue on blue is, the blue on blue looks nice. It looks you, really good and really kind of defines who we are. You knew growing up when blue on blue came out, it was a big game. You, it was you special, knew, right? Yeah. Like, it was special. It, yeah. That, that, I, I think that's yeah. what it came down to. It was really special where I know Spurrier, he didn't break it out often. I remember the, the, the game in 2001 after we lost to Auburn, we broke it out in Jacksonville. So against Georgia. So that was, it was a special game that he was trying to get us hyped up. He knew the uniform combo would like get us kind of hyped for it. And it really did. I, the, the one that really sticks out to me is that, and it was before you were playing there, but the 97 game against FSU. Yeah. That blue where Jacquez went behind yep. the defense and yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. So 
yeah, those are some good picks, man. Can't really hate on any of them. I think it'll be a lot of fun to keep tabs on which guest answers each questions with what, as they'll be the same questions for everybody. And especially with the jersey combos, where there are only a finite number of possibilities, it'll be fun to tally up which ones get the most love from our guests. But I'd like to switch gears now and move on to some current events. On our last show, we talked a bit about Rishé Caldwell, who was an electric Gator wide receiver back in the sunset days of the Steve Spurrier tenure. And as we made a point to mention on that show, we didn't really know him. So we didn't really think it was fair for us to eulogize him. But you did know him. And so I'd like to get your thoughts on him and and what he meant to you both on the field and off the field. So, um, you know, Rishé and I played together. I was a freshman in my freshman year. I went to Jefferson High School. And, um, you know, when I first came to Jefferson, because I, I came from across town, you know, you had to get special assignment. Now, you couldn't just go wherever you wanted. You had to get special assignment to come across town and play for any kind of school. There had to be a reason whether you were in band or there was a, you know, you had some special classes you had to be that no other school offered. So I remember meeting uh, Rishay when we first walked on campus and he, he's kind of hard to miss because it's not because he was the biggest guy he was just always flashing this big old smile he had this big he had this gold tooth right in the front that you could see and you know and that was the thing about him he was just so happy go lucky he was it wasn't too many times that somebody could piss him off or um, you know make him angry or you know he'd be out of his element he was just very very happy guy and you know you, you probably hear a lot that uh, people talk about that he give you the shirt off his back that really was that kind of guy. He was that kind of guy. Um, beyond the fact of he was just an amazing athlete. And when people talk about in the Tampa area in the in the late um, 90s and early 2000s of guys that were phenomenal coming out, like Riche, he was a four-sport athlete, a legit four-sport athlete where he ran track, you know, he played baseball, he played basketball, and he played football. And he was he was a 5A player of the year when he was a junior. The, the, the year that we were on that team and we went to uh, – we lost to St. Thomas Aquinas before we went to the state finals. Um, that guy, he was just – he was an amazing player to watch on the field. I, I – you know, my first taste of high school football, I thought it was – it was like Spurrier's fun and gun. Uh, but your quarterback was just really good. He could score from anywhere on the field. Um, so, you know, my memories of him in high school was that he was a fun-loving guy that loved us. He loved his linemen. He always gave us credit after the game. And, you know, even around school or, you know, as as we kind of hung out with him and stuff, he was just – Rache was just that crazy guy. Move forward to um, Florida. He was a reason why I came to Florida because we were Tampa guys. And, you know, we always talk about the Miamis, about those guys – the guys that that stay in South Florida, that live in Dade County, uh, winning championships, going to Miami and, and doing well. well. We thought about stay, keeping the same promise when we were coming to Tampa. I wanted to be another guy that came in with like the Mike Pearsons, who Mike was from Armwood in Tampa or Seppner. And then you got Riche, who was also highly recruited that came in from, from Jefferson. So um, for me, it was just like, man, I wanted to rekindle the fire. Of course, right when I walk on campus, I see Riche smiling with that gold tooth and, you know, he was one of those guys that was there on my visit, too. So him and Kenyatta Walker and some of these other guys. And, you know, you look back at it and it's just like, over the course of time, yeah, he was a great player. I mean, everybody saw what he and Jabbar and Taylor did during that 2001 season, 2000 season. But I think it, it really kind of showed, um, you know, Riche wasn't the focal part of that offense. He, he, it took him a lot. And Riche wasn't always the guy that was always tuned in. But when he got on that field, he really showed how talented he was. And if you never, if you didn't know him as a person and all you read in the headlines was that, oh, he got shot or another guy got shot, 
You know, he got killed because he was doing something. Yeah, Richie ran into some demons after he got out of the league after, you know, whatever happened. But he never got into that. He never he never was at that point where people um, thought bad of his character, said he was a bad person. Richie was always smiling. He was always laughing. Yes, you know, he, he faltered in some form of his life, but that never he was never the gangster. He was never... Um, the person that people kind of, and even as a, in the media might portray him, he was always just that fun loving guy. And that's how we'll remember him. Um, myself personally, my brother um, played with him. You know, every guy that kind of his weight was just this past week, which I didn't have the opportunity to go to, but anybody was, that was there um, that spoke about Riche, that knew Riche, knew he was just, uh, he did, he, while he was here, he did a really good job. He did a good job as a person um, and as a, as a, as a, as a father to, to his kids. Well, and, and people don't realize just, you know, it, between you and he, you guys really started that modern pipeline. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you know, that led through, you know, Ahmad Black, it led through Vernon Hargraves, it led mm-hmm. through all of these great recruits that we've been lucky to have from that area. I mean, even people like Matt Jones, yep. having that that pipeline there, he really started that. I mean, in the yeah. modern era. Um, yeah, Zach, Zach Carter, too. Zach's from my high school. Yeah. I went to Hillsborough High School the, the last three years of, you know, that time. Zach was there. You know, we, the, we we tried to develop that pipeline. And, you know, between Lakeland and Tampa, that's really close proximity. Yep. Um, so, you know, I think over time, not you, you don't stand and look it up. You don't look it up and say, well, you know, that guy went, so I'm going to go. But there is a feeling and there is that thing that, you know, we know we, we represent the 813 in Tampa. And, you know, for us, we were trying we were trying to change what Florida was we're, and it's happening throughout time guys want to represent that that zip code so you know Richie was really kind of the pioneer him and Mike Pearson when they were when they came in in 97 98 whatever 99 so you know we were just following their lead and they um like I said for Richie he did a great job man we're gonna miss him um he and everybody's gonna miss him because he is not that guy that you'd be hard-pressed to find a guy that hates Richie um and I really do say that there's there's not too many people on here that had a bad thing to say about him. It's just that, you know, you know, with the game he was playing, there was, there was only a couple ways out. So, you know, unfortunately that happened. Yeah. You know, it, it was actually pretty obvious in the wake of his passing that he'd had quite an impact on people. Several former teammates of his rushed to post tributes to him on social media. And I think what's lost in moments like this is that nobody is forcing these guys to fire up their Twitter or Instagram apps on their phone and post anything about him whatsoever. These are people who are genuinely sad that they lost a close friend, and that's really how you can tell who somebody is by what other people have to say about him. I think the thing is people see, you know, it, it, it really, you know, when players pass away, you know, um, as far as Gators go, some of them you know because they might have came back around the program when you played or you might have met them down the road or they might have been out of game. But this one hit home a whole lot more because Riche was like a couple years ahead of me. We played together in high school. We played together in college. And he was only 41 years old. I'm 38 now. So, you know, he was only, you know, a couple years ahead of me. And um, we all knew him so well, like the, the, the really funny stories and that stuff that kind of happened. It just, I don't know, man, it's kind of, it's a surreal moment. And when it hits home like that, it forces you to think about your own life and what's going on. So, you know, in, in, in times like this, especially with all this craziness going on with, the, you know, what's happening with COVID, um, it, it really forces you to love the people that you haven't seen in a while. Those those teams that you had, those brother. There's really a brotherhood that happened on that Jefferson team, or, or going out throughout the years on on that Florida team, Florida teams. Um, there was a brotherhood. I mean, we were all close. A lot of 
sometimes people there's conflict there's stuff that happens for that it was you know we were we were brothers and even Rishi like we we were on an offense together that put up a lot of points that broke a lot of records. But beyond that, you know, outside of what football is or what people watch under on Saturday night, we were all friends and we just, it, it really is tragic. And I can't say that as a, as a walking cliche. It's not a cliche. It, it really is tragic to, that it happened to a guy like that. We both and we all can say rest in power to Riche, um for, for what he did, not only for you as a player, but, for fans growing up that idolized him and for the memories that we have of him, but also uh, prayers for his family um, for for what's left behind. Yeah. Uh, Rest in peace, Rache. Rest in paradise. And and of course, my heartfelt condolences to you, Shannon, and to all his other former teammates on, on the loss of a very close friend. And, you know, that's actually a perfect segue into the heaviest topic of conversation tonight, because Prayers for peace are becoming more and more needed in this country right now, as for lack of a better way to put this, we just aren't seeing everybody being treated equally. There's been a lot of racially driven unrest in America these days, and tensions have escalated to a boiling point. It's become such a prominent issue that it's embedded itself into college football, which many of us use as an escape from the real world. And it's become a conversation that not only do we genuinely want to have but now we feel that we need to have in order to responsibly do our jobs here at the in all kinds of weather forecast now as three white guys running this podcast we don't really own the qualifications to talk about it amongst ourselves because we haven't lived through it instead it's more our job to listen and learn and gather perspectives from the african-american community and that's part of what shannon's here for so Shannon, I suppose a logical start point to this conversation is to hear your perspective on what's happening right now in our country. You know, it's it's funny how it kind of happened all of a sudden, which it technically didn't. I think, you know, what, what happened with George Floyd was brought to light um, and Breonna Taylor, it was brought to light. Everything kind of, you know, breaking down as it did and happening in 2020. Um with COVID going on, I think COVID, I think COVID really started the first, the first wave of it because it forced people to be at home on social media more, um, you know, sitting in front of their phones, thinking about different things. And then obviously, um, you know, when George Floyd, George Floyd is obviously the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Listen, man, my, my, my stance on this is, is like this, you know, and, and as a black man, I, you know, I'm married to my wife is white. I got an uncle that's white, you know, so, but it, it has even between us, um, it has created some really healthy conversation. Um, and I think that's really kind of what it boils down to. Yes, there's extreme people on both sides of that coin. Some people say, hey, you know, you know, either you're the, you're this, you know, you support Black Lives Matter or you don't and every, you know, screw every cop and everything like this. Or you're on the other side where it's like, you know, stupid and, you know, listen, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to have to be some healthy conversation to end what we have going on. Um, and I'm saying this on the side of seeing both sides. I lived in the hood. I lived on, I lived in the suburbs and I was, I've been able to kind of communicate and connect with every walk of life. But if we don't get away from the fact of, and I'm saying this as Shannon Snell, is that if we don't get away from the fact of, you know, everything is a racial battle and we are literally fighting and upset and sensitive to every matter that pops up and then we're never going to grow. We're never going to heal as a country. Um, for what happened to George Floyd, that was uh, 100% wrong. Let's let's not let's not put that. That is 100% wrong. Uh, 
I hope those guys, that, that cop or those cops, I hope they get what's coming to them. I hope justice serves its purpose because if it doesn't, then get ready for World War II. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to down every single cop. My uncle was a cop. My uncle's a 30-year veteran on the uh, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. He retired. So he was a cop, and he saw some stuff, and he's a black man. So, you know, he's had to do some stuff, and he's had to, you know, you know he's had to draw his gun from time to time on different things. Now, he's black. Now, there's a, a majority of cops across our country are white. Um, so we got to be able to hold them accountable, absolutely but we can't hold them at fault for making everything racial. You can't do that. They, they sign up and they do a job and they go out every single day and, you know, they fight for, you like to say 95% of them fight for what's right. Um, but we can't go out and basically stick it to them and say, Hey, defund the police, or we can't go out and say, Hey, we need to end this. Um, there does need, there does need to be some sort of sensitivity training, especially when it comes to black on white relations. I, I do agree with that. It has to be, and it does need to open up a healthy line of communication because ra racism is, is very much, it happens in this country. It does as a, as a black man saying that as, as a guy that's been in the middle, as a guy that has a, you know, a, a, a wife that's white racism happens in this country. But here's the thing is that I can't, me personally, I can't let it affect my life because my life has to move forward no matter what. And that's, that's kind of the message that I want. Your life is going to have to move forward. You cannot hold a fit. You can't hold your fist up and battle to the end of time over something that you can't control. Yes, everybody has a voice, a really strong voice. But if, this, if these healthy conversations don't happen, we're going to be fighting to the end of time. Like, I don't want to end my life. I don't want to walk away from this earth and say, oh, you know, it was just a race battle while I was here. You know, that was fun. It's not fun. It's not fun watching, you know, a guy have his knee in the back of a black man on the ground. It's not fun watching people throw stuff at white cops. That, none of that feels good. None of that, none of that makes me feel good as, as a human being. So I think between our leader in charge, who is Donald Trump at this point, Hopefully he gets it together and he's gonna ha he can have some healthy conversations. I don't know if he can or if he won't, but he needs to have some healthy conversations and it needs to trickle down because right now it's in shambles. Every, everybody has a different opinion on what we do, how we say it, how we're, what we're saying. And even for you guys, as you're hosting this podcast, it is okay for you to think, it's okay for you to say, look, I, I, I'm, you know, I don't know how to feel. I don't know what to say to you. And that's okay. That, nobody should be upset about it because, no, you won't ever walk a mile in my shoes. You can't. A black guy, you can't. All right? That's just the way God set it up. On the same breath, I can't walk a mile in your shoes. I can't tell you how to feel. I can't tell you what, what, I'm supposed, what you're supposed to feel for me. As the same that both of us or, or all three of us can't tell a, a police officer what he's supposed to do in his job. So as, as we have these healthy conversations, as these things start to come out, we'll start to heal as, as a nation. Until that happens... You know, we, it's just going to be a fight. It's going to be back and forth. It's going to be, hey, my way, my way is better. My word is better. The way I'm saying it is better. And that just, it just can't continue to go on like that. You know, A, that was very eloquently posed um, and, and thought out. Um, I was at a bar of all places two weeks ago. Um, and I live in Atlanta. And I'm sure you've seen the headlines mm -hmm. up here where there's been a lot of unrest up here. Mm -hmm especially with Rashad Brooks passing away. Right. So it was interesting. I was with three African-American gentlemen just sitting at a table. And I said, look, I, I just want to talk. You know, I just want to hear from you, you know, what your perspectives are. And there was one guy that he was in a rental car and he got pulled over in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, driving from Houston to Jacksonville. 
and he said, it was my wedding. You know, we're driving from our wedding to our honeymoon and we got pulled over and he got put in jail um, because the rental car insurance wasn't kept up. And, you know, it was one of those, like, I can't imagine what that was, what that was like that night. And like Neil said, we're two white guys that we, we don't know, but also anybody that wants to have the perspective that, well, this is a football podcast. I listen to this for football and for Gator sports. Well, mm-hmm. right, right now, Gator sports and what's going on in the country are intermingled. I mean, look this week at the discontinuing the Gator bait chant and just look at college football in the last few weeks with Mike Gundy wearing the shirt um, from the One America News Network or Mike Leach a few weeks ago, you know, with his, with his tweet and and, and Dabo Sweeney um, with his, in my opinion, tone deaf response to what's going on. Um, So what are your perspectives to Florida fans that, you know, they don't understand why the Gator bait chant is being retired or don't respect it, don't like it, or don't really understand somebody like Mike Leach or Mike Gundy or Dabo Sweeney with their responses. What do you, what do you have to say? Um, or what, what are your thoughts on the state of college football with where country, where our country is right now? So I got my, my first opinion on this is that so often, and especially over the last couple of months, I've heard, from newscasters to, you know, Democrats, you know, Republicans, left wing, right wing, you know, even fans um, saying that, hey, leave politics out of it, leave racism out of it, just play sports, pick up a pick up a ball and dribble or snap the ball and run, whatever you want to do. Here's the thing, right? At the end of the day, those athletes that pick up that ball, that run down the field, that dribble a basketball, whatever they do, they are still people. Okay, they're still people. So, and, and I think that kind of goes without saying because, yes, we're athletes. Athletes are, you know, athletes are guys that, that have superhuman strength, that have these skills, that have all this stuff, but they are still a voice. For every person that you see on Fox News or every person you see on CNN or every person that was, quote, unquote, put in the charge to say, hey, I'm going to report the news, or I'm going to report my opinion, there's a football player standing in the middle of a field, whether it be a high school field, or whether it be often, you know, that's coming up as a junior high schooler that has an opinion. Listen, those opinions matter the same. And people need to quit saying, hey, just you're an athlete, just uh, just play sports. At that point, that's prejudice. Okay, that's prejudice against every person, whether it be white or black, Indian, Chinese, it doesn't really matter. Stop telling these athletes to shut up and play sports because, yes, they have a platform. Think about it real quick. Tim Tebow uses platform for great, the, the, the glorified Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm really just proud of Tim for doing that. And people ridicule him for it. In the same breath, let's not do the same to these athletes when they have a voice. When, half, when, when you talk about 70% of people, that, 70% of athletes in the NCAA or on a, on, on a football team are black. Like you're telling them to shut up and, and, and shut up and play football. You are basically feeding into what America's telling you and what you're supposed to be feeling left, right, left, uh, left wing or right wing and telling these kids, hey, my, my agenda's right, yours is wrong. That's not, that doesn't play out well. That doesn't play out well with these kids who are 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, they don't respond well to it. And, so, and the ones that do, they recognize the fact that if your own fans are the ones that are saying it, do you really care about them um, beyond football? If they walked into your house 
a black man walked into your house, would you treat him as, hey, you're the all you're, you're the all American, or are you going to treat him the same way if he's a black man and he walked to your house and say, hey, are you not going to rob me, or you have an opinion and I want to hear it out? So first of all, we got to stop saying to these athletes, whether it be black, whether it be white, or in, stop saying shut up and dribble, sh shut up and play football, whatever it is. They have an opinion. They have an, they have a they have a stage and a platform to do it. They need to do that. Now moving forward on the side of being an athlete or why this stuff has happened, the Gator Bait ch uh, uh, chant. You know, over time, uh, you know, for me personally, I didn't commit because of a chant. I didn't commit because, you know, of what, what the Florida alma mater is. I did not. I committed to a logo. I committed to, the, I committed to Steve Spurrier's Gators. I committed to the fact that I was raised in a house full of people that were orange and blue. So, and, and even over time, things change. We talk about the word like yellow. How many people say YOLO right now? YOLO was so hot a couple years ago and people were like, oh, it fades and dies. There's things in this country, there's things over the course of time that fade and die. Uh, and, and Gator Bait, while it has a racial overtone, I get it. You know, re regardless of what it, what it says, you could say a word and it has a racial over, it could mean one thing today, it could have meant something tw uh, totally different 30, 40, 50 years ago. So I understand that people, some people were raised on the fact that they would go to Gator games they would be able to do this chant and be able to, you know, to chomp their, chomp their arms and they'd be able to chant this chant along Gator Bait that, that went along with the song. But there has to be a little bit of sensitivity of what Gator Bait meant. It would just like be, be somebody calling me the N-word. Hey, they used to say it back in the day. Well, it doesn't mean the same thing now. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a term of, it's a very derogatory term right now. I wouldn't expect anybody to ever call me that as I wouldn't call a white person any name that I would think is derogatory to them. So for those people that are sitting out there thinking, oh, it has nothing to do with, you know, it has nothing to do with racial lines, it has nothing to do with that. No, you, you open up your feelings, open up your mind a little bit, do a little bit of research, do your own research. You don't have to listen to the person on Twitter or listen to the person on, you know, on the news, do your own research. And if you feel it's appropriate to say, then nobody can tell you different. But if you're trying to uh, circle the wagons and, you know, just, just say, hey, they're just getting rid of this because the Black Lives Matter movement's going on, then you probably need to rethink the way that you're, that you're, that you're coming up with your information. As far as Dabble Sweeney and these coaches across the country go, look, once again, I can't tell them how to act. Look, they've been in a position, not a privileged position, but in a position where they might not have, have had to deal with any of this ever. Like you're in the middle of a COVID stuff. You're in the middle of guys staying at home. Social media is more rampant now than it has been over the last whatever. Like there hasn't been social media. So you're able to get your news really quick, how things happen really quick, right? So for them, I'm not going to blame them um, for mistakes that they made. However, they have to be more smart about the moves that they make, especially in a racially charged environment that we're in now. Our country's in a really bad spot. Know what you're doing. And for a team like Clemson, you know, a team like Oklahoma State, there's a lot of black, there's a lot of black kids on your team. You are out there recruiting a bunch of black kids. Anything that you do would has to be, has to be, you have to be aware of it. Because if you're not, people can mis misconstrue it a bunch of different ways. And it only takes, you know, like Mike Gundy, the shirt. Like it only takes one snapshot and it's all over the internet in five seconds. I remember uh, uh, 20 years ago, that didn't happen like that. I was 16 in high school. Social media, like you had to wait till the next morning to find out what the high school game was the previous night. Now you can find out the up-to-date what yard line they're on if they're about to go into the red zone, zone and score. So for him and for, you know, guys like, you know, Dabo, and they're smart guys. Let's, let's, not, let's not be beyond that. But I'm, I'm sure they made a mistake. I hope they made a mistake for the betterment of their program and what they're doing. But 
at the end of the day, I'm not going to hold that against them, but they have to be more cognizant of exactly what's going on and 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 their their fan base, their 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 base that's looking at them on a every and and it's going to be magnified 20 times over because now that now that that's happened, they're going to be looking for any any reason. I think that may be a little bit unfair, but they're going to be looking for any reason to say, oh, that's a racial you crossed a racial line. You, you did this, you did that. So right now, unfortunately, they put themselves in that position. I, I don't know if all of it was on them, but you know, now it's gotta, they gotta kind of, kind of keep their eyes over a different, uh, keep their eyes over their shoulders saying, hey, look, maybe, maybe this might not be good for me to do or good for me to say. Uh, you got players, high profile players at both colleges that, that, that their success, Dabo and, and Mike Gundy, their, their success depends on them. And, and, and the only thing I'll, I'll add to that is I appreciate as somebody that works in higher education, I work here in Atlanta at Georgia Tech, mm-hmm. that you called them student athletes. You, you know, right. people forget they're not just athletes. Absolutely. They're young mm-hmm. men committing to getting a four-year or sometimes five-year degree if they go to the graduate transfer route. But these are student athletes. They're learning. They're, they're, they're not kids, but they're young adults. And they are committing to learning both in the classroom and out. And if, if, protesting or if speaking out is part of that we need to allow them to do that as we would any other student just because they can play with a ball of some sort doesn't make them any less valuable or their voice any less valuable in the in the process so hey as somebody that works in higher ed i appreciate that yes sir casey thank you for pointing that out these are student athletes there's a reason for the order of that compound word Thank you for bringing that Georgia Tech perspective here because that's something that I think a lot of people lose sight of, and especially in such an inflammatory time in our country. But Shannon, I wanted to get a little bit more into your personal history on this subject. Now, you're a very popular guy for lots of different reasons. People know you. They know you as a voice of reason in the black community. They know you for your relationship ribs. They know you from relentlessly mocking Georgia and FSU on Twitter, which is something that I personally find highly entertaining. But what they may not know about are your personal experiences with racism. And and that extends from the explicit forms of racism that we all know about to some casual forms of racism that maybe we aren't as familiar with. Obviously, this is not my story to tell. So I'd love for you to be able to tell our listeners a little bit more about all that. So as you look at it, you know, I've always been, I've always been a target, right? Throughout my entire life, even as I was growing up, I mean, I've always, always been a pretty big guy. Um, you could tell I probably played some sort of sport, whether it be basketball, whether it be football or whatever it may have been. So I was always a target. As I walk into, you know, when I lived in the suburbs, I, if I walked into a pool hall, which was probably predominantly white, I get, I get looks. And I don't know if it was so many looks that they were like, oh, wait, hopefully this guy plays football or you know, I think he's famous. And I think that was more the underhanded racism that I, that I saw a lot is that somebody said, you have to, for you to be here, you have to play a sport. And that's that, that, you know, as a big black guy or as a big guy that's walking in like that, you know, and, you know, it, 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 it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, at the time it doesn't seem frustrating, but do you walk in those doors and, that same reaction happens. Let's say you don't, let's say I had a bunch of gold teeth in my mouth and, you know, I got chains hanging from my neck and, you know, whatever may happen, do I get treated the same? Or do those looks still happen? I'm going to say yes, because they're, they're not thinking so much or people know who I am. It's like, not so much am I an athlete anymore? It's like, hey man, what's this guy here? What's he up to? You know, I was, I lived in Tampa. Tampa's a pretty metropolitan area. And even in, you know, my younger day, 
Um, I saw it up close and it wasn't so, it was with an officer and got pulled over and, um, you know, <laughs> I was, my girlfriend drove a Mustang. She drove a really nice Mustang. She was white. And as she was driving, we were coming out. My neighborhood was in, you know, in Tampa. Anybody knows New Tampa, Bruce B. Downs over in New Tampa, Tampa Palms area, right, right where Vernon Hargraves actually, he, Morton High School's out that way. So that area was just starting to be developed, some of the new housing. Uh, but my mom has a really good job, and um, she did really good for herself. So I live as I was living with her. I remember we were coming down Bruce B. Downs Boulevard, and we get pulled over. And this is probably the first time that this, that that's happened, but we get pulled over. I didn't think we were doing anything wrong, but you know, obviously there's, there's three or four police, police cruisers that pull up. And I remember the cop leaning into the window or asking for her license and registration. She's like, she's like, Hey, what did I do? And he's, he said, no, we're just doing random checks. And I said, you know, I just, you know, at that point I just was, I was sitting in the passenger seat. So I just shrugged it off. I was looking out the window and he asked her, he's like, ma'am, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. And they shine the light on me and said, ma'am, are you sure you're okay? I mean, that was, you know, you look, you, you look at it. I don't know. I, I don't know how blatant that can get. Um, that, that, that was tough. That was a tough, that, that was surely a tough one, you know, and you know, it was by, here's the bad news is that it was by Hillsborough County uh, Sheriff. My uncle worked for him. So, you know, it's just at that point in time, uh, I hate to say I blew it off, but it always stuck with me. It didn't, I didn't, didn't completely fall off my shoulders. It didn't, uh, I didn't forget about it um, because it happened years later, which we'll come to in a second. But, you know, you look back at it and it's just like, you know, you watch TV and you watch these programs and you watch this stuff go on TVs. And I never personally experienced it, you know, beyond that point because at that point I was 15 or 16 years old, 16 years old. So I never experienced it. But when it, when it first happens, it, it, it enrages you. It makes you really angry. It's like, wow, you know, I'm a guy that I, I didn't, I didn't do anything. I've never been in trouble with the law. I've had maybe a few tickets in my entire life. Even at that point I had zero. Uh, my mom was a well, uh, she, she owned her own business. Uh, she lived, I mean, you know, we lived in a pretty nice house. Um, I drove a D I drove a nice, uh, okay. Car, I drove a decent car. Um, but, you know, for me, it's like, you know, why did I get profiled? I remember back to like a episode of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. It was actually one of the first times I saw racism up close and personal. You probably know what I'm talking about. It's when uh, Carlton got pulled over and Will was trying to tell him, you know, it's because you're a black guy uh, driving while black. And, you know, that whole thing was based off, that episode was based off racism. It hit home and, but it was just an episode and to me and it didn't make a lot of sense until that happened to me. Fast forward years later, um, you know, when I was coming out of a, you know, I was coming out of Gainesville, I got pulled over. I was in my mom's BMW. So like I said, my mom drives a really nice car. She, um, she, uh, she, she's done well for herself. So I was driving it. I was, I was actually still in, uh, I was just fresh out of college. I was coming to visit my girlfriend and, uh, I get pulled over again and, um, they pulled me over to the side of the road. And first of all, I'm thinking I couldn't have done anything wrong unless there was something wrong with the car, like taillights out. Um, you know, I, but I came to a stop sign. I, I know exactly what I did. I didn't do, even do a California stop where you roll right through the, the stop sign. I was like, there's nothing I could have did. And normally if I got, if I would have gotten pulled, pulled over, I would have been like, Hey, I know I was speeding. Hey, I know I ran a red light or whatever. I was always very cooperative with the police. Maybe why I didn't have any problems. But on this certain time, as I pulled over, I uh, pulled up and it was a black BMW. There was not a hot, lot of tint on the windows. So I could see even if they were going after the tent. So as a guy comes up, he basically shines. Well, you know, he, he asked me, he's like, license registration. I said, you know, what's, what am I, what am I being pulled over for? 
he said, we're just doing a bunch of random, we're just doing some random tra- random checks. And I think that's always been that, that their go-to statement when you're kind of getting that, you're getting that look or whatever. So I said, well, what do you mean I'm, you're doing random checks? That doesn't make sense to me. And so he totally ignores that statement and says, well, is this your car? I said, well, it's my mom's car. I was like, if you notice, I pulled out the, I was like, can I grab the registration? He was like, yeah, just do it slowly. I'm like, okay. So I grabbed the registration. And I said, if you can see it, this is my mom's car. It's, I'm from Tampa. I'm here visiting my girlfriend. Well, I don't know. So all of a sudden there's like four other cruisers that roll up. Four, like in the, in the middle of a traffic stop, four cruisers roll up and I see them coming up and the, and the thing, one guy, you can see the officer coming up on the passenger side, hand on his gun. So I said, look, I, w- I need to go. Like, I want to get back to Tampa because I was literally leaving to go back to Tampa. And he said, well, do you mind if I search your car? And I said, what do you need to search my car for? I was like, I don't have any, like, no. I was like, what do you, why you, if I tell you no, what are you going to do? He was like, well, you're going to have to sit here for the next 45 minutes and I'm, we're going to have to bring the canines, canines out and he's going to have to sniff your car, sniff the outside of your car and, and until we get until, you know, and so it's just, uh, it's just better if you co- cooperate with us right now. So, you know, so looking back at that, so I had to let him search my car, which I didn't mind. I didn't care. But as I sit there, I remember getting back in my car and crying. I was, I was, I was uh, 22 at that point. I was 22 years old and I was crying. And I, 23, I was 23 and I was crying like a baby. I remember driving back and calling my mom on the phone and I didn't even get her involved because I didn't want it to be any incident. I knew I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything, um, to worry about when they were searching my car, but I, I remember driving back to Tampa, just tears in my eyes. And I don't cry, I don't cry a lot. Like it takes a little bit for me to cry. And I just, it brought back up the time that I was pulled back over in Tampa and how rampant racism is. And we're talking about over the course of like, you know, going through a college career, not having to deal with that, playing football, you know, not having to deal with that whatsoever. Because as an athlete, I didn't have to deal with that. Maybe not straight up in my face, but I didn't have to deal with that. But then, you know, just like a normal guy on the street, just driving down in a nice car, nice neighborhood, I get pulled over and I just cried, man. I was just like, and it really made me realize how bad we had things as a nation or how bad we, what, what kind of shape we were in. And the tough thing to deal with that was because I was raised in the suburbs and, and I was raised on the rough side of town. I was one of those guys that went in the middle. I just want everybody to love everybody. And unfortunately, I just, you know, that kind of was a, a slap in the face that it's just never going to be like that. I don't know if it is. I don't know what it's going to take. Um, but it just, it was not like that. So as I cried, and as I went back to Tampa, um, you know, there was some really good people in my life, both black and white, that forced me to have that conversation of not every person's bad, not every cop is bad, not every, you know, not every situation you'll run into is a racial situation. But at the end of the day, you can't forget about it. And you got to think about today's climate, right? Today's climate is that there's been a lot of people that have been racially profiled in one way or another. Um, you know, black people, even white people. There's been people that have been racially profiled by police officers, by a guy standing at, uh, you know, a jewelry counter. And it happened to me when I was in a spot. I was, I was actually in the league. I walked up to the counter. I, bought, I was going to buy a really nice watch. And my, my wife told me that I didn't see it at the time, but, but the guy pointed, like the security guard pointed, pointed that person to the front door to go stand by the front door. As I was holding the watch, just looking at it, so I didn't run out. So, you know, it's it's stuff like that that happens. And I'm glad I didn't see that. She was she was upset about it. Um, I'm glad I don't see stuff like that. But it is rampant. And, you know, right now it's just, 
you know, you think about every person that's had something racial happen to them. Breonna Taylor was was another thing that was so lobbing in your face. And then George Floyd, that was a straw that broke the camel's back. It's not so much that it happened to them. No, an officer didn't have a knee in the back of their family member, or didn't have a knee in the back of um, them personally. But you think about every racial incident. Let's not, let's not just talk about with cops. You, th- you talk about with everybody. You profile for some odd reason. And in this case, it was extreme that it involved the death. But you think about every, every situation that had, it's really tough it's really tough for somebody not to get upset at that or to think, man, this is, this is, this is my America. For me, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit more heady. I'm a little bit more forgiving. I'm a little bit more, it hasn't directly happened to me. I know it'd probably be different if it did, but there's gotta be some stuff that changed. It has to change. If it does not change, we're, we're done. We're done. And that kind of goes without saying we're done. I'll tell you as a, um, Sorry, I got a little emotional hearing that. As a uh, as a Southern white man, there's nothing I'm going to be able to say that's going to make that better. But hearing and listening and valuing those stories and those voices, and that to me is just something that when people say, "Well, I haven't done anything wrong in this country," you know, it really took you know people like Breonna Taylor, people like George Floyd. And it was three years ago today that Philandro Castle was shot in his car. So it really takes things like that, that no, I haven't done anything wrong personally in my life, but it's now the jobs of people like Neil and myself and white people that necessarily hasn't happened to us to lend the voice um, to someone like you uh, where it has happened. And you're an elevated voice to begin with because you're a gator great firstly, but you're a great person that is when Neil and I were talking, I'm like, we need to get Shannon on because Shannon's an ambassador, not only of the gator program, but of the community of his own community um, with recruits, with Sunny's barbecue, with the, with the things that we'll get into a little later on the show. I challenge any listener um, that just listened to that. This has a place in sports. Um, this dialogue needs to have a place in sports because you can't root on the Florida Gators and not root on success of African-American student-athletes. I just wanted to make a quick point for the record. Um, for those of you who don't know, maybe you're a new listener or a new viewer, new follower. Um, I'm the guy that's behind those social media accounts that you've probably interacted with. I'm the guy that writes most of the articles on allkindsofweather.com. I'm the guy who puts together those videos on YouTube that you've probably seen. It's it's my job to put together words and tell stories. And right now, I don't have any words. Shannon just left me speechless. There's there's nothing I can think of to say at this point. He, I mean, again, it's it's my job to have words for things, and I don't have any. And, and that's not something that happens very often. So that's just a testament to just how compelling and how powerful and how moving Shannon's story is right there. You know, we orchestrated this podcast with the intention of, of listening and learning, as we said. And it's my sincere hope that the listening and learning extends far beyond when Casey and Shannon and I hang up from the Zoom call. But yeah, Shannon, I just felt like you should know that I'm, I'm not a guy that's left speechless very easily. And 
you just did that. So I, I hope that's the legacy of what George Floyd left us, that this isn't just going to be another drop in the bucket or a flash in the pan, that we continue to have these discussions, not tonight, not just next week or next month, and but honestly, for the rest of our lives. So we yeah, sure. Perspective. You know, and, and here's the thing, guys. It's like, you know, for me, I've been able to move forward because there's, you know, I, I, I realize that not every person that I've seen, and even as an athlete, as a guy that kind of was raised out of, you know, I was raised in a single parent, uh, single parent home. My mom and my dad were split up and, and that kind of stuff. And I realized, and I've been around white people and black people. I'm going to realize I'm saying yes to the black community as well. Like every white person that you meet is not racially profiling you. Some of them just don't know what to say. I'm telling you right now, you know, I've been at, I've, I played football for a long time. I've been at Sonny's barbecue as, as their brand ambassador for over 13 years, headed on 13 years. They have, there's good people that work for them. I trust them. And even having those conversations with them was, was so positive. They didn't know what to say to me. And we're talking about guys that are owners, guys that own a really large corporation that, that you know they they're over a lot of people and in this corporation is, is prim- predominantly white and the good news about that is that they were able to it was they were able to come to me and comfortable enough to come to me and say hey look let's have this conversation you know we want to love people we want to love you we want to understand where you come from now i'm not i'm not saying hey man you guys need to go black lives matter you need to do this look my, my personal views are my personal views but i think it gets down to the end of the day that we all need to love one another and if that does not happen it's just we are going to be stuck in the 1960s. All right, it's great that we do it at Sonny's Barbecue, and, and, and hopefully people take our, take our lead on this, but we're going to be stuck in the 1960s. And I'm going to tell you what, that was a really shitty time in our, in our history. Like that, It was history, and everybody's like, oh, you should never want to erase history. Well, it's not something I want to ever relive again, and I didn't live through right. it. I have, parents, I, have, I have parents that live through it. I have uncles and aunts that live through it. I have grandparents that live through it. It's not a time that we need to get to as a nation. We progress way past that. At least I like to think we have. Well, and the fact that we're still having these conversations in 2020 after the March in Selma, after the civil rights movement in Washington, D.C., where MLK gave the speech, after um, the, inter- the forced integration of a lot of schools in the South, after MLK and Malcolm X were assassinated, we still have a ways to go in this country. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I said. I hope it's not just you know, something that we have either just that last a few weeks, but really it goes on from that. But moving on to yeah. a moving on to a more, let's just say a, a brighter subject. Um, tell us where relationship ribs came from. So relationship ribs happened. So before I, um, so during the, during the, the years after I left Florida, so I left Florida in 2003. So from 2003 till maybe I guess when after Ron Zook left when Urban Meyer came in so after Urban left um Will Muschamp came in and I got really kind of reassociated with the program it was about seven years now here's the thing is I knew Urban Urban was a he was my recruiting guy he was my recruiting coach um when he was at Notre Dame so we had a really good relationship you remember my mom and that was really cool. Not too many people know that, but I knew Urban when he was at Notre Dame. That's the reason I almost went to Notre Dame, but Urban ended up leaving like two years after, which I'm glad I did. So, you know, but I decided to get back around the program after I kind of got out of college. I've been in Sunnies for a couple of years. I've been, I've been kind of running, running, the, running the grill with them a couple of years. So after that, I just, you know, I met, um, I met uh, Will Muschamp. Uh, so Will was my recruiting. He was, he, well, Will coached against me when, I, when he was at Auburn. 
So um, it, it gave me the chance, and he knew all about me. He knew my name. I remember he came to Sonny's one day, and he was just like, you know, we talked, and his family came in, and we we chatted a little bit, and um, we just got really friendly. Um, so I, I adopted to the program. I became almost a homer for the program. There's some guys that come back. There's some guys that never come back. But I was one of those guys that came back, and I was – firmly behind the program it didn't matter if a donkey was behind the program which we know happened during that program during that time but I was very much behind the program so after Will left and then McElwain came in I was really with him but it really the, the whole relationship rib thing didn't start until um until Lee Bagley came in who's a recruiting coordinator uh for Florida and Dan Mullen shout so out Dan's Lee Bagley like, yeah Lee Lee's she's a stand-up chick man she is you talk about <laughs> you talk about the reason that programs are successful is because they have a successful person behind the scenes or persons. Um, and that's kind of what, what Dan has at Florida right now. He has successful people um, that really help him with that programming. And Lee being in that position, she is, I call her Queen B because, I mean, it takes a set of, a big set of balls to run that program, especially as a woman. You know, because uh, to be the director of the, the recruiting thing, because she's the one that gets everything set up. She's the one that, you know, gets that whole thing flowing. So I remember her calling me. It was probably 2000, right after Dan had gotten there. And um, I didn't know who she was, uh, but she called, um, she called the store. I was at, I was, you know, I was running Archer Road in Gainesville. She called the store and talked to one of my assistants. Well, she said, hey, look, I'm looking, I, I, in these, word, these words, quote unquote, I'm looking to have a badass barbecue. And I said, and my assistant told me, he's like, you need to give her a call back because, you know, us at Sundays, we hadn't been really associated with the with the football program. They did different stuff. And as time went through, you know, Jim McElwain was big on like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Weirdo. So, you know, he wasn't like the barbecue <laughs> guy. But anyway, we decided to, uh, I said, okay, I called her back and she's like, look, I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking for like a badass barbecue. I was like, okay, cool. You know, for me, the, we, we compete, uh, Sonny's, uh, our team, our team is called Blackjack Oak. And we're a franchisee of Sunnies. The, the entire the Sunnies that that we that we operate, the the franchise where our, our barbecue name is I Serve. That's our company name. We're a franchisee of Sunnies Barbecue. We're the largest in the entire in the entire country. So we compete on the Florida Barbecue. Uh, we compete in the Florida Barbecue Association Association as under the name Blackjack Oak. So I said, okay, well, competition barbecue is a little bit different from what we do every day in store. I mean, if you ever been to a competition it's like the best of the best of the best. Like you got to know your shit to actually, to actually be competitive. Hey, the best day of my life was at Everbank field, that barbecue competition that they had. Yes. There. Yes. Best shit I've ever had in my mouth. I'm, I'm telling, I'm telling you <laughs> until you had a like competition trail barbecue, you yep. really haven't had barbecue because it is literally, you have to cook the most, you have to cook the perfect piece of meat. You have to make sure that it turns out well. It's not like, you know, what we do at Sunny's, the food is fantastic. But it's just like it's a machine. We have to make sure that it appeals to all crowds. Right. Here you can kind of do whatever. So, right. so I said, okay, well, we gotta make a we gotta make an impression. So one of my favorites, or one one thing I'm really really good at is is, is ribs, is St. Louis ribs. Um, so we've heard. Yeah. So I'm I'm like I'm not like toot my own horn, but I'm just it really is one of those things I do well. Some people do things like just better than others st louis ribs is just i was i was born and bred on them i was yeah. my grandfather raised me throughout time to know what they taste like know how they're supposed to you know the bite's supposed to be on the bone so i said okay cool so i said well you know if any time's a time to experiment with some good competition barbecue i said it's with the gators i mean it's a, it was a recruiting it was a recruiting event that they had 
I remember tweeting out a long time ago, I think it was at the uh, indoor practice facility. They had like big TVs rolling. They had like a bunch of stuff going on. Fortnite. So I said, and I remember that was like one of my most retweeted stuff things because I just put it out there to, to take a jab at Florida State. But in the end, it ended up being really like, it really ended up really being really big for the event. So I- At that time, so, Florida State had like the- the Circus. The, the, the circus. Yeah, yeah the circus. bounce house, yeah. the indoor bounce house yeah. for the little kids. Yeah. Yeah, so, it, I mean, that made no real sense. So I said, okay, well, you know, I'm not, you know, what I do is going to be 0.0001% of this event going off without a hitch. So I wanted to make sure that the food was top-notch. You know, it's barbecue, so there's, you know, you're not getting prime rib, you're not getting, like, lobster, but it's, it was going to be the best barbecue that they had. So I remember, so I said, so I spent probably, you know, a, a full two days. I mean, there was a lot of food that we had to send out. So we had, like, jalapeno sausage and, uh, pulled pork and ribs. Uh, there was a lot of food we had to send out, but my main thing is like, I'm going to care about these ribs. They're going to remember these ribs when, when it's all said and done. So I remember it's, it, I spent days on these ribs. I had, you know, I had to do a bunch of different stuff to them. I spent days on them. So I remember taking them out there to the field. I was, I was pretty tired, but I remember taking them out there and they destroyed them. And when I say destroyed them, like we brought, we normally bring more food for athletes um, just because they eat a larger portion they eat for every one portion that one a regular person eats an athlete eats like four times that so we brought like so we never want to run out especially at an event for them um, we want to make sure that you know when they have enough food we want to make sure that they're well fed so I remember the ribs kind of coming down towards the end as the event was starting to get over over like they went through a lot of ribs so over the course of time like we started doing more events for them we started calling us for more stuff and um, you know, their offices, their, their football offices started doing stuff with the players. So I started getting more elaborate on the ribs because I, I just wanted to kind of test my culinary art skills, especially when it pertains to barbecue, my pit mastery skills. <laughs> and, you know, I came up with a, <laughs> I came up with a recipe that we had came in first place with at, on one of the Florida Barbecue Association uh, events. So I said, let me try to replicate this. Let me try to do this. And um, it was at another recruiting event, and I remember they ended up getting, I think it might have been Friday Night Lights, if I'm not, not mistaken. But we ended up, uh, Florida ended up having like five or six guys commit that, that one night. And uh, so Corey Knowles, who's on, who's on Twitter, and people know, he said the relationship ribs are, are busting off at the seams. And the, and the funny thing is, a couple of the guys on there, a couple of guys that, 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 had committed, said the ribs, the food was fantastic. Normally they don't talk about the food because as you go on recruiting trips, they, they're going to present you with like the best food possible. It's going to be right. a creme de la creme. It's going to be like that stuff that's like, you know, you won't ever get that. If you come to the school, you probably won't see that meal again unless you're like at a banquet or something like that. But it, I, but they, they were talking about the food of how good it was and, and the ribs. So I kind of stole it from Corey when he said relationship ribs. I started laughing and everybody – so rival fan bases like Florida State were like, they were making fun of it. But it started to catch weight. When I say relationship ribs, it just, it really caught on. Him and him and um, TJ Pittenger were the guys that kind of put that together. And so when they did it, I was like, well, hell, I'm just going to roll with it. So I jumped on, on the bandwagon with it. And then that's what it became known for. All of a sudden, there was a bunch of people calling me asking, you know, for interviews for it. I was like, man, that was just, that was, it was kind of organic. I didn't kind of plan it. Um, nothing like that happened. So I was pretty excited that it did. But once again, it was just me wanting to do my part for the Gators. You talk about, you know, Dan talked about like the Gator standard. I wasn't around when the Gator standard, uh, the, the trademark came up or when they started talking about it, we were just Gators. So the Gator standard meaning everybody doing their part. 
And that was kind of my thing. I had to do my part. The relationship ribs got weight, got legs because the recruits loved them. They talked about them. Um, and, you know, as that happened, you know, it just kind of, it kind of grew organically. So how would you grade uh, what Dan Mullen's doing right now? Um, so that's a twofold question. Um, Dan is ripping it apart. I mean, him on the field, there, there's really no, if you can tell me, but there's no better coach in, in, the, in the country than Dan Mullen. As we talk about a positional coach, he can put points on the board. He can, there's a lot, there's, there's nothing that he really can't do offensively. Um, if he does not, if he has the people around him, I'm, I'm just very confident that that's reminiscent of, you know, where the offense was back in 2006 and 2007 when Tebow was leading the charge and uh, they were scoring a lot of points. Um, and even in the Spurrier days, I mean, it's tough now because teams have gotten better. Um, people have like, you know, Clemson's got better talent. So there's a little bit more, there's, a, there's definitely more talent and more competition than what it was back in the day. But, you know, you talk offensively, he's just, there's, he's second to none. As an on-field coach, there's nobody, there's no team in the country that you could say, whether it be Clemson or Alabama, if Dan Mullen got fired today for whatever, for whatever reason, he'd have an offensive coordinator job just snapping your fingers. He is that, he is that talented. I mean, he does stuff that, and he does stuff with talent. Like he, he came in and had 10, a 10 and three year. He did stuff with guys that weren't even his guys. He had to have them buy in and had to have them buy into the program, but he did it year one and year two. So now that he's got his guys in there, I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited to see what he does on a recruiting front. Like everybody knows we got to get better. You know, there's, there's guys that we miss on. And, and here's the thing. It's not that much difference. He's got good guys recruiting. He's got, you know, coaches out on the trail that are doing their thing. We're in the conversation. We're in the top three, top five for a lot of these guys. These top recruits, these five-star guys. Yes, it's going to take something to push it over the top. So that is a little bit of push on his end to his staff. But it's not that far off. So if you're talking about an on-field coach, I give him an A+. Because he's done it with he's done it with the talent that that that's not all his. As we, talk recruit, as we talk recruiting, I'm going to give him a B plus just because of the fact of, yes, we haven't got every guy. Yes, we're, we're thin on spots like the offensive line. We got some guys coming in this year that we're kind of depending on. But, you know, we need running backs. We need some stuff like that. So there needs to be some touch up there. But here's the thing. Once again, we're in the conversation with a lot of these guys. If you see all these guys putting out their top 10, top 12, top 10, top five, Florida is always one of those logos there. So he's doing something right. And he's running. He's running. A, he's running a pretty clean program. So that's one thing you can be pretty positive about. I know everybody talked about Georgia and Georgia hitting on all these cylinders. It's going to come out in the end. Look at Ole Miss a couple of years ago. It'll come out in the end. I'm pretty firmly believe. I pretty firmly believe that. I think Dan's just going to need to get the hump, not Georgia out the way, beat them, and I think he'll be fine. I think that recruiting, he starts winning those battles, and even even you know him making it into the college football playoff changes that that narrative for Florida and recruiting for at least the next four or five years. So you of all people know what it's like to beat Georgia. Uh, Never lost I, them. I guess right. So Never I guess I guess I want to break this into two questions. Number one, let's go back to that day where you promised that Florida was going to beat Georgia. What gave you the the inspiration to make that claim and what was it like to make it come true? First of all, I didn't know it was going to be blown up the way it was. I was kind of, I was, I was really pissed off because Georgia was, Georgia was undefeated at the time. They had a good team. They had, you know, DJ Shockley and, um, you know, they had uh, the other quarterback. What's his name? David Green. Yes. David, David Green. Green. And they had a great defense. They had like Georgia had all the pieces to make a, make a championship run. 
But it was always something. And I had never lost to Georgia. We're talking about my freshman year, we beat them. We talk about my sophomore year, we beat them. Um, you know, Georgia had won very limited games against us. And every year, it's kind of like the Miami thing it is now. They're saying they're back, they're here, they're going to they're gonna win games. And for me, it was just, I was so pissy. And I was watching this whole thing go down at every uh, newscaster, sports announcer, you know, analyst was saying that Florida was going to get just ran under the shit. And now we were coming off, you know, you know, games that we were, you know, a couple games we were, we had lost three games, one to Ole Miss, one to, I mean, I'm sorry, not Ole Miss. Yeah, we had lost to Ole Miss. We had lost to quite a few teams throughout the year and even got drubbed by Miami earlier in that year. So, and, and I think Georgia was way more talented that year than Miami was. So, and my, Miami ended up going to now, I think Georgia was a very talented team. So, I just got kind of sick of everybody saying, well, you're going to lose, you're going to lose. Well, how do you go into this game? The quote, the quote unquote, what I said was, um, how do you, they asked, you know, how do you think you're going to be able to contend with Georgia in this game? Do you think you have a chance? And the part of me that's a competitor, I never wanted to go into a game as did none of my teammates, as did none of my friends. Like whenever you compete doing something, you want to win. Nobody remembers second place. Nobody gives a damn about second place. So for me, what I said was, um, I expect to win the game. There, there was nothing about that. I, I didn't want to get up there to the podium. And especially being a guy that was a junior after Steve Spurrier is gone now. He's gone. And, you know, we got guys that are kind of left over. We got a couple of seniors, but not a, not a lot of them were in that leader mentality right in there. I just got sick of hearing everybody's shit. I just got sick of the, oh, you know, you guys are going to beat by Georgia. Georgia's on the path to the national title. And I said, you know, that still runs through Jacksonville. You guys still have to beat us. This game's not played on paper. So for me to say, hey, look, I think we're going to win the game. And the media jumped on it and says, Shannon Snell's predicting a victory. It wasn't really me predicting a victory. And I didn't really care that they said that. And if, if and I, I mean, here's the thing with bulletin board material. I think it's bullshit. If you, if the reason you need to get up for a game, for any game, is because a, a guy on the opposing team says something, then you're playing the game for the wrong reasons. If you can't get up for something, if you can't get up for every game, especially in the SEC, the further you go along in competition, the less bulletin board material should mean to you. Particularly in a rivalry game. Yeah, and that, and that, that, that means the world. If, you, if you're saying to a guy, oh, this is bulletin board material, it's like, oh, if I wouldn't have said anything, you would have played worse or you would have played, right. uh, you know, you would have played down, of, down to your abilities. You know, you need to take a look in the mirror if that's going to be you. But for me, I was like, look, I don't really care what you guys got going on. I don't care how good you think you are. We still have to play a game. Now, I knew at that time we were, we were a talented team. We were just – we hadn't put it together. Ron Zook was new. His Ed Zombrecker, who was running the offense, was new. We had, like, new schemes and everything. By that time, I was like, look, we can hang with Georgia. Yes, we, we, should, we can beat Georgia. There's not – this is going to be a really competitive football game. At the end of the day, that's what happened. Was I happy? Yes, absolutely. Because as it got boosted up, as we talked more and more about it, it was like, man, now it's, it's turned into a prediction. So if I'm wrong, I lose a lot of credibility especially with our team, because a lot of them weren't in that media room as I was talking. But at the end of the day, I was like, look, I want to win these games. I want to win this game for these guys, not for the media, not for, you know, the fans that may be doubting or that, that need that sense of confidence. I wanted to win the game for us, for our team. And that's exactly what we did. Georgia just, they folded as they normally do. And everybody said it was a shocker. It was an upset. No, it's just that, you know, if you really, if you really, no football, or if you've been around the game, you'll know exactly why I said what I said and why, why it came out that way. That, that was an incredible night. That really was an incredible night. It was. I it think was. The last time that was a night game. Um, yes, it wasn't. It was, only, it was, it was, it was yeah. 3.30 and went into, night game, into a night game. Well, no, I think 2002 was – no, I think 2002 started as a night game. I think that was, yeah, that that was an ESPN that was game. 
That was in, that was the one time since 1996 yeah. where that game oh, kicked okay. off at night. Or 1994, I mean, in the swamp. Yeah, it was. A, yeah, yep. it was. A Ron, right. Ron Franklin called that game. That's right. Yeah, um, I remember that. That was that was so glorious. Um, so we have established very well that you know what it takes to beat Georgia. You are well familiar with the tenor of that rivalry. So mm-hmm. you've also talked a little little bit about how Florida's not been on the good side of it recently. So. Right. In your opinion, what do you think exactly Dan Mullen has to do to get his guys to play at the level that they need to play on that day against Georgia? I don't know, man. It's just, you know, coming off of a bye week this past season, you would think um, they were ready. Um, you know, and everybody was predicting Florida to win. I, and they just came out and threw, threw, a, threw a really uh, – just a really bad game a game, bad game plan out there. I mean, they just – it just really was – now let's give them the fact that the officiating didn't help things. Um, I think that was a big part of it, and people don't want to talk about that. And they say, well, don't let the officials determine the game. Sometimes the officials determine the game. That is I've what never melted down more they, with, with that cager catch. I've yeah, never- like, I mean, listen, I was on the sideline in Jacksonville. I could see clear across the field that, that I was like, the ball hit the ground. And when that didn't happen, it, I think okay. it took some of the wind out of Florida sales, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Georgia's done such a great job recruiting. I think that's really getting them through – um, what they've been doing. I don't think Kirby Smart nor his staff are the greatest coaches. With that talent, you should have a you should have a, a national title under your belt at some point in time. Let's just call it what it is. If you if you swing that talent towards Florida and what Dan Mullen has, you, that's a dynasty. That is a dynasty. You got these guys that could come in from anywhere. That's a dynasty because he's going to win and win a lot with those guys. Um, so the idea in mind is yes, I think Florida can beat them even with recruiting swinging the way it is. Florida can beat them. Um, no matter what, I think Dan needs to obviously on his offense has to be a little bit more than one dimensional passing. I mean, we all saw this past season that a lot of these, a lot of our runs were screens out of the backfield or quick throws and stuff like that. Um, quick pitches, quick tosses as, as, as this, as it evolves, or as things happen, or even as this year happens, you know, the offensive line has gotten better. It's, it's true. These guys have gotten a little bit older. You know, you got Brett Heggie, you got Stone Forsythe, you got the kid coming in from Mississippi State. Um, they've gotten better. And even in this point of with this pandemic going down and everything happening, I think Dan has a leg up because you have a lot of returning guys. And he had explosive guys. We talk about the playmakers. He had explosive guys in, in Copeland and Grimes. He already had those guys in the fold and waiting. So Van Jefferson's gone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I get that. P. Ryan's gone. But he just reloaded. I mean, he's still now he has his guys that have fully been in the system for three years. And, you know, he's returning all his coaches. Think about that. Lane Kiffin coming in. You know, you got coaches coming in from everywhere. Not to mention, they haven't been able to hang out with their team. You got okay. Georgia, who's, you know, they had their same success in recruiting, kind of, sort of. But Florida's gotten better. And Florida should have, and, and as bad as Florida played last year, as horrible as they played in Jacksonville, they still were around in the fourth quarter. Okay. So if Florida puts their best game plan on the field, Georgia does not beat them. I don't care what kind of talent they have because it's been very much proven that Dan Mullen's a better coach than Kirby Smart. That is what it is. I'm not – like, I'll tell that to any Georgia guy. You know, I'll argue that to the end of the earth. And even if Sin has a – if I was a Florida State fan, if I was a guy that was sitting in Walla Walla, Washington, I would tell you that Dan Mullen is a better coach than Kirby Smart. He has better people around him, better talent defensively and offensively on their coaching staff than, than Kirby Smart does. And I think that's going to make a huge difference, especially – we're all talking about when Florida gets better. 
when Florida gets better and when Florida picks up those recruits or those guys that can that can really go every down that, that Dan has in his system, look out. There's a reason Florida is is um, they're putting Florida in the college football playoff this year. That's why everybody's uh, thinking that they're going to be there. Kyle Trask, he came out of left field. He's got himself a quarterback that can throw the damn ball. So that's one thing Florida has not had in a long, long time since Will Greer. Right, and Will Grill didn't stick around for a long time, but that's not one thing Florida has had for a long time. So, for a quarterback to be in Heisman consideration for good reason, uh, for their offensive line to come around, they have the playmakers, they have their defensive coaching staff coming back, and even you know the kid coming over from Georgia, the Russian that's going to be playing this year. You got defensive tackles that are coming back, like you got you know uh, Elam, who's who I think is going to be the number one corner on that team. Hopefully we don't lose him after a couple of years. And then you got Marco Wilson, who's coming, who's really had time to heal up from that injury. Florida's a, Florida's a, yeah, yeah, Chester Kimbrell. Like Florida's a recipe for disaster for any team that plays them because they know it's like, damn it, we got to pick our poison. At that point in time, when Dan has open field to actually be able to run the ball, pass the ball, and we play good defense, God bless America. Look back at 2016. This exactly kind of mirrors them exactly what they were had. You got Emory Jones, who's going to be in the Tebow mode. You got Kyle Trask, who is kind of the Chris Leak mold. You got a decent offensive line. You got a really good defense, and there's no super superstars on that defense, but there's a bunch of guys that can that that can turn into superstars. So I think at the end of the day, Florida's a dangerous team on a lot of fronts, not just one dimensional, because they can throw the ball around. Let's just call it what it is, but they're dangerous everywhere. And Hevesy's an incredible coach. Yes. Um, and any any t- any listener to this podcast will know that my MVP is Nick Savage. My yes, MVP for this team is Nick Savage. Just what he's done in, in the weight room is amazing. And then you've got Lingard, who's coming in at running back for Miami. Yes, yes. Um, and then Damian Pierce. I mean, he's a roll, he's a bowling ball. It's going to roll down the field anyway. But who's your one star on offense and on defense who either is a sleeper or somebody you think is going to have a kick-ass year? So offensively um... – I think it has to start on the offensive line. Yes, I'm an offensive lineman, but the offensive line was been – they were kind of a liability last year, right? You can go you can go trash, you can go Grimes, you can go any one of the playmakers. You can go Copeland, who needs a breakout this year. I feel like he's like he's like 1A, one 1B one or number two in my book, Copeland. Jacob Copeland is that guy that has a lot of talent. Um, he's a – he's a just – he's a very strong guy. He's got to stay healthy. He's got to stay healthy. If he can stay healthy, I think he has a really big year. I was, I was predicting a, a big year for him last year, um, but he couldn't stay healthy. And, and, and obviously, Van Jefferson had just like a ridiculously good season. Um, but for me, I think you talk about the left side of that line, how that plays out or how, how that middle plays out. So Stone Forsythe and, and Brett Hedry. Those are guys that have been in the system for, you know, three, three plus years. So, you know, Brett came back off of a torn ACL. He messed up his knee. That stuff happened, but they both showed flashes um, last year of being very good. Now, everybody says, well, the offensive line still – look, there's – the offensive line, it takes one guy to mess up on any one given play for the, for, the, for the offensive line to look bad. So, all of them have to be a cohesive unit. So, whoever that center is, if it is moving Heggie to center, then that's great. Um, you know, but, but if you stick those guys on one side of the line, I saw the plays that they had together. They operated well. They operated real good. And I think there's really there's something to be said for experience in the SEC as an okay. offensive lineman. You have to have that kind of experience because if you don't, you're walking in blind. And, and the biggest disparity that happens, everybody says the game gets a little bit faster. The game really gets fast in the SEC on the lines because you've got defensive linemen that run what linebackers were running in high school. And I'm talking about good linebackers. So at the end of the day, I think those two guys, 
have to play well because we talk about depth on the on the offensive line. There's a little bit of it, that, but there's no experience. We're talking about the two most senior guys on that line, two most experienced guys on that line have to play well because if you make things easier on Dan with not having to throw the ball, you can run the ball or you can do some play action stuff. You know, it it it, it changes the narrative. It changes like one big play a game into maybe three or four. Three or four big plays I'm talking about could go for touchdowns. And those touchdowns for Florida could change the tide of where they were last year. Florida didn't lose a combine of their games. They didn't lose by that many points. Uh, they didn't get blown out. It just didn't happen. So for them, it's going to take some – it's going to take a little bit more time. And you got Kyle Trask, who's a Heisman guy. You got – but you got some new backs back there. You got a couple of new receivers out there that are going to be out there full time now. Um, for them to gel, especially early, because they're going to play a couple of decent teams early on in the season. Um, so if they're going to if they're going to trip up, it's going to be because of the inexperience up front early. But if those guys play well early, especially those two, I think Florida has a good shot. As the year goes on, they're going to look good. They're going to be fine, as they did uh, as the course of the year went on. The offensive line got better, um, but early on they got to play well. If they don't play well early on, then I think Florida loses one or two games because of them. I mean, we lost by what twenty one combined points, fourteen. Right. Yep. And- in seven in Georgia, so that's I mean, correct. You're, 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 yeah. you're right there, and I mean Dan Mullen's quote of you know when somebody asked him, they said, "What's it going to take to beat Georgia?" You know, what's the difference between you and Georgia right now? And he said, seven points." Yeah, that's you know, it. I appreciated that. I yeah. really appreciated that. That we are right there. Um, you, you know, I think a player, and I, I'd love your thoughts on this as an offensive um, line guy, but. I think one player that if he can come back and be healthy the way he was, I think Malik Davis could have a could have a year this yeah. year if he comes right. back um, and he's healthy. So, what are your thoughts on that, Shannon? Well, you know, here's the thing: is that we get uh, Lingard from Miami. You know, he's a five star guy coming out. If you, you talk about this, listen, uh, I'm a big Malik Davis fan. He played at Jesuit High School in Tampa. This guy had you know, before, <laughs> but, yeah, bef- before he before he went down. I was like, oh my God, this kid, he was better, he was better than um, uh, P. Ryan. I thought he was going to be the guy over P. Ryan. But here's the thing is that it, it's a prove it kind of, it's a prove it ground for him. Like, can, can he get into that running back rotation? Is he going to be one of those guys that they can count on? Because, you know, as he's coming off all these surgeries, as he's not being able to play, like the only, the only way that you can, uh, you can build off of something successful is playing the year before. Right now, right. anything would be, would, would be good for him. I don't think he's as in, as big of a part as the success of what happens to the offense as as what we talk about Damian Pierce. Damian Pierce proved last year that he was a workhorse. Like he broke some really long runs. Like he like he changed some games and won at South Carolina. God bless yeah, America. That run at South Carolina. Yeah. I mean, and, taking it taking it eighty yards. I didn't know he had that kind of stuff in him. So let's not leave him out of the mix that he should be the guy that gets the first crack. But Lingard is that kind of change of pace back. Now, will he pick up the offense? Will he be the guy, you know, he transferred from Miami for for a reason. I don't know what that reason is. It's because he couldn't play in Miami. If he can't play at Miami, he's damn sure not going to play at Florida. But I like to say, you know, I like to say that he's going to be that second guy. He's got a great body type. He's fast. We say he's a five-star guy coming out of high school, but until Malik Davis can prove it, that he can stay healthy, it's got to be – it's got to fall on the guy that we got to watch is, is, is Damian Pierce because as he goes, as that offense goes, like he's one of those guys that's an every down back. Can he catch the ball like P. Ryan did? I don't know that. But I know you can leave him – you can leave him in almost every down and be, have, have some sort of successful play. If he is catching it out of backfield, he's a bowling ball. We call it – that's what he is. He's a, he's a bigger version of what Jordan Scarlett was. So, you know, so now you're I looking praise. at it now. Yeah, now you're looking yeah. at it. It's, it's going to be – can 
if Malik Davis can stay healthy and get back to the form he was under McIlwain um, in, in 2000 and what, 2016 or whatever it was? 17. Yeah, yeah 17. Um, I think I, I think he does inherit that spot. I think he becomes that. But once again, coming off of knee injuries is a real fickle thing. It is one of those things where you just don't know. So uh, it, it's kind of a we'll see thing. And my, my, my last uh, Shannon play question, but uh, it's probably going to hurt a little bit. But uh, I, I know what it's going to be. I know what he's going to say. Yep, I do too. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell me about the uh, 2003 swindle in the swamp. Oh, God bless America. You know, <laughs> we, we, we go back and, you know, so we talk about the teams that we beat over time. And you never want to lose to a rival. <laughs> Right. There's there's teams that I've never lost to and never there's teams some teams I almost never lost to, like LSU. We were three and one, three and one against them. We never lost Kentucky. All right. We never lost South Carolina. But losing so playing Florida State, I've only we've only beat them once. When I was playing on the teams, I've I've only won one time. That was two thousand one when we had a good team. The two thousand they were two thousand they were really good. Two thousand two, we just kind of just, you know, pissed down our leg. 2003 was a little bit different because we played a really good game. We were actually in contention for the SEC, uh, for the SEC title. It was coming down to like a three-way tie. We all had the same record, but we had to win that game. And, you know, going into that game, because it was a night game, it was senior day for me. Um, it was a, a bona fide night game, so that was really exciting. You know, us playing at night in the swamp was always just kind of a magical things like playing in LSU. is like playing LSU at nighttime in Death Valley. It's one of those things you look forward to. So, you know, we did – we played our best game. There's a lot of things that happened in that game. So, you know, the thing that will always haunt me about that game is that I always will feel like the refs were in on the take. They were in on – they were in on the – they were in on something before – that was actually right in front of me, the one that Florida State returned for a touchdown. Seatric phase on – he fumbled it right, right there, and his knee hit the ground. Um, his knee hit the ground, and I was just trying to figure out why the whistle hadn't blown. And I saw a Florida State guy running in the opposite direction. And they called it a touchdown. Unfortunately, at that point in time, there was no instant replay. And that was, like, one of the toughest losses I've ever, ta- I've ever took because a lot of stuff happened. There was, like, pepper spray after the game. There was, there was fighting in the middle of the field. Um, I remember being in <laughs> – you probably look up the quotes. I remember being in the media room afterwards, and I just – I let them have it. I, I just let, I let Florida State and the referees have it. So more, more, more the referees in Florida State. Um, and I remember calling Jack Childress, who was the head of the ACC crew at that time. I remember calling him a POS, and it was just a tough one to take because it, it felt like the game was taken away from us. Now, here's the thing is that hindsight is twenty twenty. We allowed them to get a fourth and 15. You know, if we stopped that, then that cancels all the talk of what happened. Um, but at the end of the day, it was like we, we let a team off the hook. Or actually, the referees let them off the hook. I will say that some of it was partly due to us, our play. But, you know, it was one of those, it was, it's going to always be one of those games remember, remembered in infamy because that should have been a game that the Florida Gators won that day. And it changes history, right? Because that could have put us in an SEC title game. We talk about that many times. Like, there's things that happen. Think about that in the 2002, 2002 season. If, they sw- if Auburn swats that ball down against Georgia, Georgia doesn't catch that Hail Mary at the end of the season, we go to the SEC title game, right? We go to the SEC title game. Once again, we go back to that game. If we beat Florida State, we probably end up going to the SEC title game. It would have been really close. I'm not sure. But, you know, so there would have been some 
some things that happened over time. That the refs doing what they did, you would never think a ref had anything to do with the game or tried to win or had the outcome determined in his mind. But we were very firmly believed that they, that was a reason that we lost that game. Well, you'd have to hope not. But, yeah. It was really interesting this year. You know, I had thought that after that we banned ACC refs going to the swamp, but there were there was an ACC crew there this year. This was the year that they undid it. Yeah, they, yeah. Took, they took it off because they, they were bringing them in from a different conference or they were bringing them because of what happened there. I mean, we – I know I know Zook's sending the, sending the film from what happened, and I think they end up admitting to seven bad calls both ways. It was seven bad calls both ways that really affected the outcome of the game. Five of them were the fumbles that happened on our side that had a dramatic effect on the game. So you're talking those five fumbles would have changed the fact of if we go in the score, let's just say two of those times. But we say that one of the ones that didn't happen, we end up winning that game by at least 21 points. So, you know, at the end of the day, it was it was due. Like, I mean, it was just – it was frustrating to take – it's frustrating to take away a game from any player because the referees decided, hey, we're going to determine the outcome. Hey, I just read today that uh, FSU President John Thrasher uh, endorses changing the name of Dope Campbell Stadium um, because of the racial – um, connotations of his past. And I said, you know, why don't you just name it Ronzuk Stadium? I mean, that's... Ronzuk Field. That's that's Will Muschamp Stadium. Got to give Muschamp some respect, too. He won there. I mean, it, heck, I mean, just call it like Bobby Bowden, you know, Bobby Bowden's yeah. restrooms at, 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 at <laughs> Field. I mean... <laughs> you know, you know, I kind of figured they were going to change it at some point in time. Like I said, with the climate we're in right now, I think it's it's it's... I think it's a necessity that we revisit what things are named and the connotation that they have, especially in the past. If we, if we decide to move forward as a nation, yes. Uh, but in the same way, I knew Florida State was going to be the next. I thought the tomahawk chop was, chomp was going to uh, – the little chop was going to be one of the things that came to light. I know the Seminoles are cool with it from what I hear. Well, but they're sure. in tribe. Oh, interesting. Tribe. Yeah. Well, so let, yeah. me, so let me explain this. So there are technically three, really in practicality two – Seminole tribes. There's the Seminole tribe of Oklahoma, which has about 18,800 members. And there's the mm -hmm. Seminole tribe of Florida, which has about 4,300 members. The Seminole right. tribe of Florida is okay with it, or they claim they're okay with it. Are they really? I don't know. One way or another, maybe, maybe not, whatever. Right. But point is, there's 80% of the tribe over in Oklahoma that hates it. That, they that hate were, it so much. originally from Florida. They right. went through the Trail of Tears. So, I mean, these right. are actual people and, that were affected and, by it. And they hate it so much that back in 2013, when FSU was making their run to a national title with Jameis mm -hmm. Winston and they were getting all this publicity and whatnot, right in the heat of this run, this group of people in Oklahoma got together and they passed a resolution saying, we unequivocally condemn the use of Native American mascots in sports. And this is obviously – in reference to FSU because this was as FSU was winning games. I think this is like nine days after they clobbered Clemson in that right. game, like 51-14. So this is obviously in response to FSU. They didn't mention them, but it was very clearly in response to them. And I'll never, I'll never understand how Florida State gets away with putting a white frat boy on a horse and putting some war paint on him and then singing about scalping Seminoles, how that's not – I think the word you're looking for is racist. Yeah. Hey, li <laughs> hey, listen. I'll leave that where it is. But yeah, you know, I, you know, it's, I don't know if it really would even bother me. Matter of fact, I don't think it bothered people. You go back to maybe a year ago, it didn't bother that many people, even as their own fan base. But now it's right. just like, like I said, with the climate we're in, it's got to be at least for the meantime. We talk about Dabo, we talk about um, Gundy, and, and you know where they're at. And well, you know, technically everybody's got to watch their footing, especially. As a as as a high profile as high profile as Florida State is, 
Well, so, you know, that, that it, it kind of is what it is at this point. Well, and, you come and, after the Gators getting rid of Gator bait. Like, there's a lot of upset people. I get it. There's a lot of people, but it, it was a it was a necessity to to visit it. In the same breath, there will be everybody around the country. If it has any kind of negative racial connotation behind it, you best be prepared to to defend it. Well, and it's it, it's going to be interesting to see where they go with this. I mean, if it's you know reading about uh, Mike Norbell and yeah. the players' comments, he's not gotten off to a good start there. So right. no, no, we're not. So, and I think Neil had something he wanted to add. So I just wanted to bring our conversation full circle here by asking a follow-up question to something that you said earlier. Now, every single human being is different. People come from all different types of backgrounds. We have all different types of beliefs and views. And so we've seen the world through all different types of perspectives. And that's awesome. You know, diversity can be a great thing. And I'm talking about both diversity of thought and diversity of background. It could be awesome. But it seems to me that where we run into trouble is when certain people refuse to listen to some of these differing perspectives, particularly in a time like this. And by that, I mean, they snap their finger and say, no, you're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. End of discussion. They can disagree, but I'm talking about the people who just don't want to hear it. To me, that's where the trouble starts. And as you mentioned, we aren't going to fix all these problems without having some conversations that you know what, maybe just aren't the easiest conversations in the world to have. You know what, no, I won't even pussyfoot around this. I'll just say it outright. We're not going to fix these problems without having some downright difficult conversations. And unfortunately, these people who say stick to sports or shut up and dribble and so on and so on, they're not going away. They're out there and they're going to continue to be out there. And they don't really seem interested in hearing differing views. So my question to you is, if these people aren't interested in doing the work it's going to take to have these difficult conversations, how do we fix this issue and make this world one that we can all live in together in peace and harmony? No, I mean, I like to say, like, you can talk to somebody and say, hey, look, this is a problem. You're wrong. But look, there's, there's one thing. There's people everywhere that are raised a certain way. Right. Think about that. As old as you are, as, as you have these conversations, you think most people, let's say they're 25, 26, 27 years old, they were raised a certain way where they might have not seen the situation. They might only believe in one way because their parents raised them like that or they talked to their grandparents or whatever it is. So you can't really hold that against them. But at some point, there does need to be a chain that's broken. And as I talk healthy conversations, sometimes healthy conversations, difficult conversation. And, and when I say that is that it may, it may not be day one. It may not be day one that you go up to somebody and they go, they have the response that you, that you like. Trust me, man, I, I've had that. I've had that, those moments. But as healthy conversation happens is that there, if, if people are willing to just say, you know what, I never want to talk to you again, they lose your number. I mean, there's obviously nothing you can do about that. But generally, it, the, the longer conversation happens, the more it happens. And like I said, not saying healthy conversation, healthy conversation shouldn't be, you need to just support Black Lives Matters. And that's what I said, because that's the world's, what the world's telling you. That's not, that's not a good reason. A lot of times when I'm, when I'm teaching a class or something, people want to know the why. You got to have some pretty good factual stuff behind that. You got to be able to open up with people about your feelings. Because for me, my feeling being able to open up with you guys, you know where I'm at. You know, I, I, I want people to get through this Thing. I'm, I'm, I'm done with the fact of the racial stuff happening. But once again, I don't wanna, want it to be portrayed that every person is bad. Every white person is bad. Every person that doesn't believe what I believe in is bad because that's wrong. 
there needs to be some eye opening on both sides of the line because not everything the media tells you is right. Not everything that you, that you know is right. Not everything that I know is right. There's got to be some healthy conversation in the middle. If we want to, like I said, if we want to progress as people, I think right. let's forget, let's forget about sports in a second. Let's, we want to progress as people, not progressing as people is saying, Hey, this is what I'm going to believe. This is what I believe in. This is how I'm going to operate. And that's the end of the story. I'm right. never going to listen to your opinion. Yeah, exactly. That will create a, a, a division, a racial line, a, a prejudicial line, whatever line you want to talk about. Because at the end of the day, one reason I'm married is because I was able to sacrifice and say, look, I'm not always right. That kind of that marriage should go into how we act as people, because you know what? I'm not always right. I don't know what it's like to be in your shoes. I would love for you to tell me and I will listen out and hear you because I mean that I would love for you to tell me, Hey, Shannon, look, I'm not black. I don't know what, I don't know what to really say to you. Can you talk to me about this? As those conversations happen, as those conversations start to grow and, and, and progress and bloom a little bit, I think those people that are so hard headed to the point they say, well, I just don't want to listen to you. It becomes a little bit more easier for them to say, well, well what do you mean? Because of what, well, what do you mean could turn into be like, okay, well, I kind of feel where you're coming from. And those behaviors change. You can't automatically assume somebody's going to change who they are, how they were raised, and all that stuff off of one conversation, off of one moment in time, or even if you were rude to them. Sometimes, sometimes you have to be able to say, hey, look, I got to take the chip off my shoulder. I realize for myself, I, don't, I realize you don't understand what it's like to be a black man. <laughs> Doesn't matter how I'm feeling or whatever it is. I got to be able to understand that. I got to be okay with that. Because if I'm not, I'm just as I'm just as bad as the next person. I'm just as bad as the person saying, you know, you know, only you know, black black lives don't matter. I'm just as worse as that person, because now I'm fueling the fire. If I'm fueling the fire because you know you're not doing my will, then you know what? It, it's, there's no need to have conversation. I'm just going to be in a stuck in the same spot I am. And for me personally, I don't want to be stuck. I actually want to be in a position where we progress. I'm all about progression. If, we, if we're not progressing, we're either standing still or moving backwards. Yeah, it's true. And I think that's a good place to, to leave that. Um, we had a really good discussion and appreciate everything. The one question I will leave you, um, and I'm sure all of our listeners want to hear, what's your prediction for the Gators this year? I, I predict that the Gators will lose one game. I, I said, you know, I was kind of, uh, I said last year that they would lose two. Um, this year, I think they'll lose one. I don't think it'll be to Georgia. I don't think it will be to LSU. I think it's going to be to a team that they have no business losing to. Mississippi. Um, you could, yeah, you could. You, I've been exactly arguing that all offseason long. That's just Neil, think some... about that for a second. Mississippi has always been a, a, a thorn in our side. It's been a um, venomous snake for us. We just don't know I don't, how to I don't, deal with it. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I would hope it's not Mississippi. I thought the same thing. Um, and I think, you know, even the history behind that, I think Dan would have them ready to play that game. But it's always something about the middle of the season playing Mississippi just, just doesn't sit well with me. Um, I always think about, I think about Kentucky. Kentucky okay. is, is a tough team. And if they're going to get – if they're going to get – if Kentucky's going to get Florida, it's going to be in the, in the, at the beginning of the season. Um, Stoops is a great coach. Yeah, yeah. Let's put it that way. He's a phenomenal coach. Um, so – there's no doubt in my mind, and, and, and if you want to be completely honest, I think, I think if we're not careful, especially if Florida walks into that game undefeated, look out for South Carolina. I know it's at home, but look out for South Carolina. Will, Must, Will Muschamp has his defenses normally ready um, most of the time. So I think Florida loses one game. Um, they make it to the college football playoff. I th well, actually, I think they make it to the SEC game. If they make it to the SEC, I think they end up winning. Um, and then they make it to the college football playoff. Here's the thing. If they make it to the championship game, they're not losing. 
But if they, if they, but if they, I think that if they have a chance to lose or where they're going to lose, it's probably either in the first game. If they make it past that first game, they end up winning. You mean the semifinal? You're talking about the college the football semifinal, semifinal, yeah. semifinal. If they, if they the make it to the game. semifinal, yeah. I sure. think they have a better chance losing than they do if they made it to the final. Why? And, and I want you on record. If we go to the Rose Bowl, I'm joining you for relationship ribs in Pasadena. Wait, 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 wait a I'm second. Them. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm seconding that, but I'm, I'm curious as to why you think that is, Shannon. Inexperience, why? like inexperience by that team. I mean, nobody has. And you think about it. Over the course of when's the last time Florida had somebody that played for a championship? Anybody on that team? You, know, you Dan did. Okay, Dan, Dan played for a championship when, when he was at Florida. But when's anybody been to the SEC title game? The SEC. As the the SEC East game, I mean, obviously that played with Georgia, but we kind of cra- we kind of shit down our leg there. So I mean, the le- nobody 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 on that team has any kind of championship experience. That's a different beast. That's a different mindset. So for them, if they lose, it's because they see the glitz, the glamour, the lights, and everything else going on, and they lose because of ex- and a, they lose because of inexperience in a championship game. Now here's the thing: is that it doesn't really matter who they're playing. I'm not going to protect if they're playing a you know, Ohio State team, it really doesn't matter at that point because I think talent-wise, if they made it there, they'd be able to hang with Ohio State and be able to beat them. But when those lights come on and the stakes are really big, let me tell you what. I played in – I mean, I played in Orange Bowls. I played in, you know, those kind of BCS uh, games. But I played in one SEC championship game as a freshman. I've actually played in the game. I was uh, I played a lot of plays. 2000, it's different. Yeah, yeah it's, it's different. So it's different than every other game that I played for the rest of my career. That when you're in a championship game, teams play better. Teams, you know, mistakes are have to become less and less. They're actually they're more magnified as you make them. So for Florida, if they make it there, if they're gonna lose, they'll lose in the semifinal. If they do, if they make it past the semifinal, there's no way that they're losing in the in the in the final game in the national championship game. Is this gonna be uh, another famous prediction of yours? Might, might we be hearing about this down the road that Shannon Snell has predicted a Florida Gators national championship? Listen, if Florida if Florida makes it to the semifinal. You can you can 100% if Florida makes it to the semifinal in the in the college football playoff and they win that game, I will go on record, I will go on record as a prediction as a 100% prediction saying they will win the national title game. It doesn't matter who they play. They could play Ohio State. They could play Michigan. They could play you know they could play Clemson. They will win that game no matter what. I will I'd, I'd bet a thousand dollars on it. Would you bet some relationship ribs? I would, 100%. Hey. Hey, I just want the ribs in Pasadena. That's all I want. <laughs> yeah, there's something about playing in that Rose Bowl that would be special. Uh, Shannon, I've actually never had some relationship ribs. I'm embarrassed to admit that. I, I have to I have to experience that. And I was supposed to have some at LSU in 2018, and my car broke down. I couldn't get down there. So I was, oh, supposed, man. I was supposed to have some for that game. So Listen, guys, I, I'll tell you what. But I was like, if you both can make it to a game this year, because I'm knowing that all the, game, all the games anyway – I will make you special made relationship ribs wherever you guys are at because Gainesville is not big and you guys will be around the stadium. I'll make you a special plate just for you. All right, Neil. I may have to take a rain check on that to 21 depending on uh, COVID, but yeah. I, but next, next opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you guys, you guys know how to contact me anytime, any place, anywhere that you want ribs. Just let me know I'm there. And for any listener that uh, doesn't know you on Twitter, uh, but probably they all do, what's your Twitter Twitter handle? My it's the Big Boss SS. So the Big Boss Shannon Snell uh, on Twitter. Like I said, man, I, I'm a I'm a guy. I insult 
Florida State and Georgia fans. Uh, you know, I put out good recipes. Um, and, you know, I'm actually about to post one tonight. I did – there's a lot of people that aren't meat eaters. So I did a, uh, a, a habanero um, candy glazed pineapple. It was, it was actually – yeah, it looks like it was phenomenal. My family had it. So uh, – but, yeah, I put out good food all the time. I try to do it every couple of days. And there's there will be a YouTube channel starting here pretty soon. Ooh, so I know that, yeah, there's, there. yeah, there's been a lot of people trying to, like, hey, look, I can't – like, as I do Facebook post live or Instagram live, they can't get on. Um, so YouTube is the next natural step for me. Shannon, we appreciate your time. We know you're a busy guy and you got a lot going on, but yeah. this was a really good discussion, not only about sports, but about people and humanity. Uh, 2020, if, if it's taught us any lessons, it's, it's, we need to have a little bit more humanity for our fellow humans. And we need to all learn to listen to each other. As Casey and I have both said, we don't know what it's like to be in Shannon's shoes. And as Shannon said, that's okay. It's okay to acknowledge that, you know what, I don't have the answers. I'm white and I don't know what it's like to be black. And it's even okay to say, you know what, I don't know what to say to you. I don't know how to have this conversation. All you really need is a willingness to have that conversation, to step out of your comfort zone a little bit, and to listen to some perspectives that are different from your own and be willing to learn. Because as we mentioned earlier, this is not an issue of politics at all. This is an issue of humanity. This is an issue of human beings not being treated equally. And it's an issue that every single person on earth, especially people who get emotionally involved in a sport that's comprised mostly of black athletes, should want to be fixed. So it's not going to be easy. It's going to take work from each and every one of us. And hopefully if we all do our part, we can help to heal this fissure that's ripping our country apart. And with that said, that is going to do it for this episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. And I know that I speak for Casey when I say, Shannon, two things. One, we cannot thank you enough for being a part of this conversation that we feel touched all the bases. And two, we cannot wait to get our hands on those ribs. And uh, <laughs> looking forward to enjoying a football game and uh, toasting the future of our Gators and in the country. So Absolutely, guys. Thank hey, you for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Go Gators. Go Gators. Go Gators, guys. All right. Take it easy.